When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Wilson! Wilson! This is The Business of Film. I'm Simon Rose and James Cameron Wilson as ever joins me to have a look at the UK box office and to review some of the uh, latest movies. So James, we had the interesting thing last week that all the, the blockbusters that were already out seemed to actually drop quite uh, sharply at the box office while the actual take went up on the week. And of course, we also had uh, Free Guy, the new movie, which seemed to have come from nowhere and was dominating everything. So what's happening this week? Free Guy is still dominating the box office is down from the previous weekend, but only by 12.3%. And the shortfalls aren't actually as dramatic as they were the previous mm. weekend. So let's have a look at what we're talking about. Free Guy, which clocked up 2.3 million, is only down 11%, which is pretty strong, quite a strong hold. Mm. For a film that's not attached to a franchise, mm. it's not a remake, a, a sequel, and so forth. But I think people are loving it. And when you finally get around to seeing it yourself, I think you... I can't wait for yes. you to see it. Yes, not attached to a franchise, but from all you say, probably will be in a year or two. Oh, I, I think they're all well talking about the sequel <laughs> yes, already. Yes, yeah, indeed. Of this course. is, of course, Ryan Reynolds, who discovers one day that, in fact, he's not real. He's just a, a minor character in a video game. And he changes everything by ordering a cappuccino instead of his regular medium coffee with two sugars. Well, I, yes, I was hoping to get to see it. Plans uh, were slightly thrown askew, but I'm still hoping to. That's assuming I can get in, of course. Um, oh, I think so, you will, yeah. Good. Good. Right. And so we move on to Paw Patrol, the movie, which was at number two, still at number two, uh, made one million pounds, which is, of course, the Canadian computer animated cartoon. Down, this is the real fatality of the weekend, 57%. But it's got a 4.5 million pound total, so mm -hmm. not too bad. Uh, I'm not particularly keen to see it. It is for very young children, of course. At number three, we do have a new entry. People just do nothing big in Japan, if you can get your mouth around that, which is right. a big screen version of the mockumentary TV show, which started life on BBC Three, but then moved to BBC Two, ran for five series, following the lives of a group of friends who run a pirate radio station, Corrupt FM, which broadcasts UK Garage and Drum and Bass, and is based in West London's Brentford Borough. And of course, obviously, with the title Big in Japan, they head off to Japan. Tokyo is very much the city of the week, as you will hear later. Mm. I haven't seen it, I'm afraid. I just didn't, I wasn't even aware of the mockumentary on TV. 
I think I had heard of it and watched about a minute and then realised it really, 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 really was not aimed at me. You're not a drum and bass garage kind of guy. No, I'm more, <laughs> a, I'm more a where have I left my bike clips? I know they're in the garage somewhere kind of guy. Yeah, no, I'm afraid not. No, well, not another film. But um, gosh, you think just how many uh, comedy TV series have made it to the big screen? Um, oh gosh, that's very awful. few. Very few of them would have been at number three in the box office. Yes. Uh, well, that's a whole long series. <laughs> yes, I mean, it is. We'll come back to it another time, James. Indeed. Uh, number four, we've got James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which I think you'd also like, in spite of its incredible body count and violence. It's very jokey and very witty violence. It was at number three. It's now at number four, down 39% for a £12.3 million total. At number five, Jungle Cruise, which I was a bit disappointed with, particularly by the second half, which was at number four, down 23% for a... It's made £10 million and 26000 We have a new film at number six, which I have seen, which only made £542,000, which is a reboot called Snake Eyes, which kicks off with a major fight. In the words of Nicolas Cage, this is fight night. But that's a different movie directed by Brian De Palma and released in 1998. I'm talking about the original Snake Eyes. Mm. The new Snake Eyes, which I'm here to review, is really called Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. And it isn't much better than De Palma's over-the-top conspiracy thriller. There is no relation apart from the title. The new Snake Eyes also starts with a major fight, this one being on the, of the cage variety and taking place in Los Angeles. But before I go on, I should perhaps confess that I haven't seen either of the previous G.I. Joe movies, The Rise of Cobra mm. or Retaliation. But as Snake Eyes is a, a reboot, an origins movie, this shouldn't really matter. I'm something of a fan of Henry Golding. though um, I've seen him in The Ingenious, A Simple Favour with Blake Lively, Last Christmas, Guy Rich's The Gentleman, and the universally loved crazy rich asians although i believe you were disappointed by the last name well well remembered no i didn't enjoy <laughs> it i've been looking forward to it but it just didn't grab me i'm afraid now maybe we're looking forward to it too much it's always possible be that as it may henry golding is the biggest malaysian star on the planet and originally made a name for himself on the bbc's the travel show which i never watched but you know about me in television hmm. Here he plays Snake Eyes before he signed up as an agent for the elite covert special mission unit known as G.I. Joe. So he's not Joe. In fact, he's just known as Snake, a somewhat ironic appellation as it was the eponymous throw of the dice, a throw of two ones that led to his father's death. We first see Snake as a little boy who was trudging along behind his father in Washington State, Woodland, on the way to a safe house. We don't know this yet, but Snake's father is a G.I. Joe agent and is being hunted by some nefarious figures who pretty soon catch up with him and decide his fate on the throw of some loaded dice before executing him and burning down his house 
all in front of his little boy. This is before the opening credit. Mm. We then cut forward 20 years and we see Snake as a cage fighter, having the waste matter kicked out of him by a massive opponent until at the last minute, our hero rallies to the cause and is swiftly declared victor, as so often happens. Although this is L.A., he is being watched by a Yakuza warlord called Kenta, who offers to find the killer of Snake's father if he agrees to work for him. And this is where it gets complicated. To prove his loyalty, Snake is asked to shoot a traitor of Kenta's in the head, but instead he helps the latter, Tommy, to escape, and so is invited to join Tommy's clan, an ancient ninja society dedicated to righting the world's wrongs. But before Snake can be called a true warrior, he has to undergo, undergo three trials and is told by Tommy that you will hurt, you will suffer, and you will fail. And the price for failure is death. Even so, Snake accepts the challenge, and I will let you guess the outcome. Mm. All the while, though, Snake is still determined to find his father's killer and ends up in collaboration with another clan called Cobra, who are described as a shadow organization devoted to global revolution through violence, fear, fear and extortion. So there is a lot of toing and froing. And not all of it is wildly clear. And in spite of Henry Golding's innate charisma, he's not given much acting to do. This is the sort of movie in which following a plane journey from Los Angeles to Tokyo and then a car journey from the airport, as soon as they walk into the compound of Tommy's clan, Snake then asks him, so what is it you do? Personally, it's a question I might have asked before I got on the plane (laughs) at LAX. Yes, but yes. it's that sort of movie where only the combat counts. And there's so much combat. The sort, the sort where one of Tommy's number, Akiko, his head of security, can jump onto the roof of a building unaided, except, I presume, by incredible leg muscles. On the whole, I found, I do find origin movies tend to work better than their forebears. But by the end of Snake Eyes, I was exhausted and none too excited by the cliffhanger, which incidentally is shown in the trailer. Still, the scenes of Tokyo are well shot, uh, if one isn't tired of seeing Tokyo on screen at the moment. (laughs) I saw something I never expected to see in the paper this week. Um, You mentioned Nick Cage there, back in the old Snake Eyes. I saw a five-star review for a film starring Nick Cage. The Pig. Called called pig, I think. Yes, just, just pig. But yeah, well, I got the impression, although it's online, it is in some cinemas. I got the impression it wasn't going to be in very many cinemas, but I may no. be wrong. Has it come to your local multiple? Oh gosh, no! I'd love to no. see it. I, I love films about pigs. It it's does. been quite a year for films about pigs. Well, there was the and truffle rabbits. hunters, wasn't there? Rabbits. And there was yeah, that the truffle, truffle hunter documentary. Yeah. Yes, and the and this Gunda. apparently is him as a truffle hunter. Apparently. And the documentary about a pig called Gunda. Oh yes, yes, of course. You yes, you discussed that at great length. Yes. Extraordinary one. Well, well, let's hope we can get to see Nick Cage. I never thought I'd say those words again. Let's hope we get to see Nick Cage and Pig. Um, but you know, wonderful that he's managed, you know, after so many years of absolutely awful movies that presumably were just done to pay the mortgage, if he has one, um, that he's done something that gets a five-star review. We'll have to see if it's right. Um, James, we've got to number six in the chart. Perhaps a good moment to pause, and then we shall attack it again. 
Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson. We're down to number six in the chart, James. Uh, snake eyes. Um, so what have we got left? Any more Japanese-themed things? <laughs> no, we don't. We've got Space Jam, a new legacy, which was at number five, now at number seven. Only down 14% for a total of 11.1 mm. million quid. We've got The Crudes, a new age from six to eight only down 3%. So these aren't major catastrophes. We have a new film at number nine, The Night House, a psychological thriller starring Rebecca Hall as a recent widow who starts discovering things about her late husband. Only at, well, actually quite a few screens, 352 screens, but with a desultory 316,000 in total. Oh we goodness. have The Courier at number 10, which was at number eight, down two. Uh, again, only down 18%, which is, I would say, another strong holdover. And we've got a new film, amazingly not in the top 10, considering it's a big-budget sci-fi drama from Warner Brothers, starring Hugh Jackman, called Reminiscence. Now, a number of these films didn't open at my local multiplex, but Reminiscence did. So, of course, I rushed off to see it, because I do like Hugh Jackman. Uh, I also loved Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a love story in which a man, Jim Carrey, has his memories slowly erased of a relationship he wants to forget. Mm. In Reminiscence, the opposite is true, where Hugh Jackman helps people recollect, recollect stuff they may have forgotten, in particular cherished memories, which he can then preserve on disc. There are a whole lot of great ideas whirling around here in a world which is suffering from the fallout of climate change, where it's so hot now that most businesses only open after dark. So this is perfect for its film noir template. And Jackman's wary, weary voiceover is pure Philip Marlowe. His resonant baritone kicks off proceedings with the line, the past is just a series of moments, each one perfect, complete, beads on the necklace of time. Now, there can't have been an easy line to say with a straight face, but Jackman is a straight face throughout this sci-fi action film noir romance, at times looking concerned at others completely baffled. A lot is going on. He runs an outfit called Bannister and Associates. He is Nick Bannister and requires his clients to undress, submerge themselves into a sensory deprivation tank, strap on some electrodes, I think that's what they were, and subject themselves to a dubious looking injection. He then purrs to them with a reminiscence. Time is no longer a one-way stream. Memory is a boat going upstream, and I am the oarsman. Then one day a woman walks through. <laughs> Raymond Chandler, it's not. Well, one day a woman walks into his joint, takes off all her clothes. She looks a bit like Ingrid Bergman, and asks to find out where she left her keys because she can't remember. Even though it's closing time, he indulges her, and like P.T. Barnum in The Greatest Showman. He uh, falling for Jenny Lind, he is completely smitten. I mentioned The Greatest Showman because this mysterious woman without her keys called May 
is played by Rebecca Ferguson, who last teamed up with Jackman in the P.T. Barnum musical, mm. uh, The Greatest Showman. And although Barnum was married to Michelle, Michelle Williams at the time, in the film, he had more chemistry with Rebecca Ferguson in that film than he does here. That's because everybody talks in sound bites. She says things like, don't always say always. Always makes promises it can't keep. And people like us don't fall in love. We plummet to places deep and dark. But love, love is the thing we climb to. Yep, Price, she, you could hear the dialogue over the groaning, James. Uh, it, it, this is not Ken Loach. This <laughs> is so artificial. Oh. Uh, they're just not real people. And I found it wearisome in the extreme. And it's such a shame. But uh, Tandawi Newton is really good in this. Hmm. She plays his loyal assistants, and she obviously holds a torch for Nick Bannister. But there's no chemistry between Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Rebecca Ferguson and Hugh Jackman. And it's a shame because it's from Lisa Joy, who did Westworld. She co-created Westworld, and I had high hopes for this. Um, I could talk about it. There are some good things about it, particularly Miami and the CGI, but it, it's to be avoided, really. Well, okay. Uh, that's easily done. What number was that? Did that enter? At? Number 11. Number 11. You could have what? Sci-fi action romance. A film noir sci-fi action romance. Yeah. And in <laughs> okay. fact, the, before, before I went in, the, there was a man in the cinema who actually was demanding his money back from the manageress. Because he'd seen it? Yeah. Wow. How often do you see that? For any Very movie? seldom, yeah. Which gives you an idea about the film. I don't imagine she was actually doing it. I mean, I wonder what circumstances I imagine would a cinema refund a patron's money because the film was so bad. They've opted to show it and they've opted to pay and go and see it. Unless well, you came out, with, out within about 30 seconds, I'd have thought you were on a pretty sticky wicket. If you bet on the races, you have to, well, go, go with the consequences. Yes. Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> Intriguing. Perhaps it won't be held over for a second week then. Um, okay, so where do we go now? Well, to my film of the week, which on this occasion happens to be on DVD and Blu-ray, right. available from next Monday, August the 30th. And like all good films, its excellence is enhanced on a second viewing. It's just so multi-layered. It's called The Father. It's like a jigsaw puzzle being completed on the hoof by a man losing his mind. The man in question who has dementia is a retired engineer called Anthony and is played by Sir Anthony Hopkins in his second Oscar-winning performance. An adaptation of Florian Zeller's award-winning play, The Father is an acting masterclass, plumbing the horrors of mental disorientation, drawing the viewer into the muddled mindset of its protagonist. This film is actually, unlike other films about dementia, this is from his point of view. Mm. The rock that runs the show is Anne, Anthony's daughter, played with superlative nuance by Olivia Coleman. Her good humour and pragmatism masking the pain bubbling beneath the surface. She is the, she's the only real constant in Anthony's everyday reality, as other characters striding across his stage start to blend in with each other and the scenery itself shifts from scene to scene. And it's pretty much set in one flat in northwest London. And the extras on the DVD, the bonus material, 
include an in-depth interview with Florian Zeller, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman, conducted prior to the film receiving its six Oscar nominations, winning Florian Zeller and Christopher Hampton the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay and Hopkins the Academy Award for Best Actor. Obviously, with these sorts of things, there is a lot of love being handed around. Mm -hmm. And this is a virtual interview in which the three principals are isolated on their separate screens. Zeller is as charming as ever. I've seen him interviewed a number of times. Uh, he's very, very good, uh, revealing that he actually wrote the part of Anthony for Anthony Hopkins, uh, the screen role, hence the character's name. And Hopkins, sitting in front of his bookshelf, groaning with biographies of great art and artists, praised his co-star, Olivia, Mm -hmm. as well as the lighting designer talking about how important it is for the light to provide the right mood on a set. Interesting. It's not often anybody does that. Well, no. Uh, how many film stars bother to single out the lighting designer, which just goes to reinforce the collaborative nature mm -hmm. of cinema? And it's, it's a, it's a long set. time ago I, I did work in lighting in theatre and actually one stage thought perhaps I wanted that to be my career. And I remember the the one thing I was told by my then sort of teacher uh, mentor was, you know, nobody should notice the lighting. And I think, of course, you know, in cinema often, unless it's a particularly unusual movie, by and large, not noticing it's when it does its job properly. A little I, like music, you talk about that often, how music can become terribly intrusive if it's done badly. Well, funnily enough, I did notice the lighting in reminiscence right <laughs> it's always backlit <laughs> and always right in the front uh and it really bugged me because it was so ostentatious i was not aware of the lighting in the father which is a terrific film about dementia there have been a lot of films about dementia recently this has to be the best uh, and hopkins a... didn't didn't uh, want to sort of appear live to collect his award did he i don't think he thought he had a chance in hell because the odds on were for Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's mm. Black Bottom. And he just didn't think that he could possibly get it. But it is an extraordinary performance. And it was wonderful to see him interviewed and to, having seen it again uh, and to see him being so compassmentous. Because yes. he is now an octogenarian himself. He is. And, he is. and, and a composer as well, as we've discovered from several films. I mean, he's directed, he's composed he and has. indeed played uh, music in some of the films he's been involved with. But um, I know we've only got about a minute left, but yes, I did see yes. a wonderful film as well on Netflix called Beckett with John David Washington and Alicia Vikander, which I highly recommend. I mean, the standard of Netflix is amazing. I would describe it as a Hitchcockian thriller set in 2015 in northern Greece, and it's just, it's one of those films where it never forces the exposition on you. You realise they're in Greece from the olives and the, the, the scenery. And basically, it's a story of a man on the run. And the fact that he's a black man is significant, but that's not really stressed until later in the film. Mm. I was totally drawn in. I think John David Washington is a wonderful screen presence, as is Alicia Vikander. It starts in a bed. And they've obviously had the first row. They're kind of newly in love. Mm. And they're trying to make up for it. And 
well, obviously something happens, it's a thriller, there is a tragedy, but I don't want to say any more than that, but it's a really good watch. And I was, I was watching it and thinking, um, how many films start in bed? A lot. And my mind, until I was completely drawn into the thriller, I made a mental note. Yes, I know. I, I can feel another of your lists coming, James. <laughs> a lot as, of well as, as well as how many, um, how many British sitcoms have become uh, films that actually have done well in the box office charts. Um, so this is called Beckett with John David Washington on uh, Netflix. Um, thank you very much indeed, James. Uh, James Cameron Wilson will be back after viewing more films with uh, Box Office next week as we see uh, whether something has replaced Free Guy or not. And, of course, not very long is it now until we actually get the Bond film, unless they change their mind September 30. September wow. 30. Who's counting down? Yeah, yes. But I should be able to book a ticket for that. You don't want to get bumped because um, uh, they won't allow any comps. Um I'm sure everybody's looking forward to that, James. It will, let's hope, revitalise cinema. Um, that's it, though, for this week from The Business of Film. You talking to me? Bond. James Bond. <laughs>